Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Shadow Work Library. I'm Jessica DePotsy, and for the next at least 51 shows, I'm going to take you through this series that covers the spectrum of negative patterns in the human experience. Hey friends, this is the final submission on our Layers of Conflict series that I took from Jennifer Russell and Brian Franklin. Thank you guys. And to find out more about what they do, you can visit them at evolvinglove.us. They host these really awesome retreats and they have some great content on YouTube that you'll probably enjoy. But for today's show, we're going to be covering Layer 5, which is Unmet Needs and Unexpressed Expectations. Layer 6, future version and present perfection, and finally layer seven, which is dharmic themes. But before I get into that, I wanted to say thank you to whoever gave me a three-star review on Apple Podcasts calling me out for my month-long gaps in content. Seriously, thank you. I see it. I'm hearing you. I do want to change that. She, among some other people um, in my DMs on Instagram, relit this fire under my butt to get more consistently serious about this passion of mine. And to be honest, I knew this would be an issue for me in creating a podcast. I'm not the most consistent when it comes to content creation because I like to write and discover when I feel like it, right? (laughs) I've sort of been like that my whole professional career, but I'm coming to terms with this and that for real, now I'm committing to putting out shows every two weeks at least, if not every week. And It's definitely possible for me to do without sacrificing the quality that I put into every show. So it's just going to take a different kind of dedication, which I'm ready to do now. So yeah, thank you for your honesty. I hear you. And I'm going to make the change that I've been making excuses for way too long. I should probably also turn off my cell phone. All right. So yeah, shadow work never ends, people. Always have work to do. (laughs) Okay, so how about we get started with the fifth layer of conflict, which is unexpressed needs and or unmet expectations. At this layer of conflict, we're beginning to react from the present moment. Unlike the other layers of conflict that I went through in the last two episodes, which reminds me, actually, if you're listening to this now as your first show, I would suggest starting at episode 12 and then 13 to understand what I'm really talking about here in episode 14. Those episodes cover the first four layers of conflict and will make sense of everything that I'm talking here about here. So this fifth layer, unexpressed needs and unmet expectations. This is conflict that's happening in the present moment. And because your needs and expectations are existing right now, uh, it has nothing to do with your past then you can pretty easily have the clarity to see what the issue is about because it's happening right in front of your face. And you can feel this conflict bubbling up to the surface if you feel or you get the sense that people in your circle or your partner, whoever you're talking to, doesn't really care about your needs or that they're disappointing or incompetent for not meeting your expectations. If you own your own business or manage people, this layer of conflict is probably very present in your life. And it all comes from our tendency to repress what we need or repress our expectations or not express our expectations because we doubt that people, these that they really care, that the people who care about us really do care as much as we hope they do. And so to prevent yourself from being disappointed, you just don't say what you really want. This layer of conflict is though light enough that we can usually resolve it just by making known what you actually need and expect just simple, right? You just ask for explicit agreements around what you need. And if they love and care about you, they're going to try their best. 
But as simple as it is to untangle conflict in the present moment, it's actually somewhat rare that your unmet expectations or unexpressed needs are not coming from or going to bring up some kind of trigger from the past and trigger those other layers of conflict. And I would say that most of the time, we're not actually very clear about what our own needs even are. And so the conversation gets distorted and yeah, just triggers all kinds of low vibing moments or our expectations and needs aren't actually for our highest good, in which case the person who loves and cares about you on the other side of this conflict dance here, they just can't accept what you're asking for. And that's not really happening on a conscious level, but their their meter is going off and they're giving you, and they know that giving you what you want just isn't best for you at this moment. So whether you express it or not, they're just, they're not giving you what you expect and you get hurt. So it's simple and complicated at the same time, like most things worth focusing are. And so I would say that a a great practice to help you get really good at the skill of getting clear on your needs and expressing them concisely, because that's the game here. Just what do you really want and how can you get it across in a way that's clear and accurate and in real time without triggering your partner to feel like he or she isn't enough or something like that, or without manipulating as well, um, is the I notice, I imagine, I feel formula. I'll give you that shoe example again, which I've been referring to over the series. You come home with some new shoes and your partner starts to conflict dance because you both agreed at some point that you need to save more money than you're spending at the moment. And so at this layer, your knee-jerk emotion is, is that like hurt, like, oh, she doesn't care about what I need. But if you're aware enough in that moment to create a pause between her reaction to the situation and your reaction, you can respond with your needs and expectations. But if you're following here, I'm sure you can imagine that that doesn't always work. (laughs) You could say the first thing that comes to mind, like, I need these new shoes. I expect you to trust that I know what I'm doing, right? I mean, that's accurate, but is it the most productive way to say it if you're trying to have a really good conversation? and not have an end up in a fight? Probably not. But with the I notice, I imagine, and I feel formula, this is really useful for dealing with challenging conversations. So you would say something like, I can see or I notice that your voice is raised right now. And I imagine that you're mad at me because we had that conversation the other day about saving money and I broke that agreement. I do feel upset right now though, because I'm out of shape. And when I saw those shoes, I thought they were what I needed to get back into the gym. And I really need that right now. Can we talk about this together? And so that's how that I notice, I imagine, I feel formula works. It helps a challenging conversation become really high vibing between two people who care about each other. And what we're doing with that formula is, if I can break it down, uh, first with I notice, we're describing the behavior or the situation that we actually see is happening. It's a fact. So I notice your voice is raised. I notice you're crying. I notice you're really quiet right now. Um, and you'll notice I'm not saying you're, I notice you're mad right now because you can't, you don't really know if they're mad, but you can notice the things that you think are making them mad. And you don't actually need to say I notice exactly, but just that you're observing a fact. So you're, you're setting the stage here of what you're seeing. Second, you explain what that might mean what you think that might mean for the other person, what you're noticing means something. So that's when we say, I imagine. And this is important because it brings compassion into the conversation for the other person and empathy, which is all really important. But 
even maybe more importantly, it reminds you that what you believe is happening for the other person just could not be true. So it's a good reminder for both of you. Saying, I notice that your voice is raised and I imagine you're mad because we had that conversation about saving money. It's it's different than saying, I know you're mad because we had that conversation. Because that just creates more distortion in the conversation if that's not accurate. Then that's how you start getting off into these weird random tangents about like, I don't know what. And then you just end up in this weird fight that you don't even remember what it was about. The point is you don't know what's happening. All you have is a good guess. So you're imagining. And if you say... If you put that out there for that other person to clarify, she could respond with, no, I'm not mad because of that conversation. I'm mad because I imagine you hid this from me or I'm not actually mad right now. I'm I'm hurt. Now, I get that imagine is a bit of an odd word to say when you're not used to it, but it's just really good to use because it yields that very different result than saying, I know something. When you say I know something that's not true, that's a trigger for people. Or even, I feel like you hid this from me. I feel like you're mad right now. In which case, that can actually also cause more conflict, even though it sounds like less harsh. And the reason for that is feelings are for emotions. We're just not using it right. Feelings aren't for what you're imagining. And I'll say that again, because we Westerners like to say, I feel like a lot. Feelings are for emotions. Which brings me to the last part of the equation where we let the person know how we feel about the situation. I feel upset right now because blah, blah, blah. You're explaining the emotion, not what you think happened. I feel like you hid this from me. I feel like you're mad. Yields a more conflicting conflicting response to, I imagine you hid this from me and that makes me feel insecure in our relationship. And the reason that it creates that conflict in the conversation is because you're not being integral in the way that you use I feel. And on a subconscious level, again, our partners or the other person, their BS meters are going off and they feel attacked. They're imagining that you're putting the ownership on them for what you feel like and that they don't like that. So um, when you say I feel and an emotion, you're taking ownership of your own emotions which might sound like a semantics, but really when you tweak the little ways you use words, it can be really fantastic in the results that it yields. Saying I feel hurt or I feel scared or I feel isolated, that's a super vulnerable thing to, to say, to put out there. And it makes sense that we've moved away from using the word I feel appropriately because almost no one likes to be uncomfortable and put that vulnerability out there. But When you really start using it the right way and using this formula, it conveys to the other person that they're not the problem here, I'm not the problem here, and it's like you stand hand in hand together looking at the problem rather than seeing each other as the issue, which so often happens in conflict. So let me bring this all together again because I really had torn it apart. I notice that your voice is raised right now. That's a fact. I imagine you're mad because we had this conversation the other day about saving money. That is your best guess as to what you think is happening with that other person's thoughts and feelings. I feel upset right now too because I'm out of shape. And when I saw those shoes, I thought they were what I needed to get back into the gym. And I really need that right now. So you're owning your feelings and being vulnerable to somebody who cares about you. Here's another example for a more serious conversation. I notice that sometimes when I want to talk to you about what happened to me when I was a child, you change the subject. 
I imagine that you don't want to talk about it because it's in the past and you think I'm blaming you. I feel sad or I feel estranged or alone from you because we don't seem to be able to communicate about this and it's important to me and I really need that. Can we please talk about this together? It's just a really cool way of getting your needs clear in your mind and starting a challenging conversation without throwing dynamite into the conversation. And the cool part is sometimes it's enough to have just conveyed that simple formula about how you feel and the other person can really get it and change happens immediately. And sometimes you get exactly what you need just by expressing that formula for yourself. Like you're the person you're talking to doesn't even need to do anything. And you're like, oh, I just I get what I'm feeling now. And that's what I needed. I just needed to get clear on my own my own stuff right now. The important part is that you fulfilled your your responsibility in the conflict, which is to communicate and to acknowledge yourself in a way that was never intended to wound the other person. And when your intention is good and honorable and you have a few good communication tools, you can like rest easy or give yourself a standing ovation regardless of how the rest plays out because that's all you can really do in this life is just show up as the best version of yourself. And people will usually meet you halfway. Okay, so that's the fifth layer of conflict. And now moving into the sixth layer, we have present perfection and future version. And as Brian and Jennifer say, this is like your future self reaching back through time to give you pointers on the easiest and the quickest path to becoming who you most want to be or experiencing the life that you'd prefer to have. And so this is a a future-oriented layer of conflict. Now try not to imagine this like Marty McFly and back to the future. This is more like like your higher self or the Holy Spirit or that inner knowing that when you listen and trust this voice, even when it might not make sense at the time, it always directs you down the right path. And this future-oriented knowing contains the universal force of maternal and paternal energy. So maternal energy is the motherly love. This reminds you to believe in the perfection of your current state. You're great the way you are. You're awesome. And paternal energy or fatherly love, this reminds you that you have infinite potential to become more than what you are. And when you're vibing high, these two forces create a really nice cocktail for growth and personal development and enjoyment in life and adventure and accomplishment and fulfillment. But in a lower frequency, you can recognize this layer of conflict showing up when your inner father critic is judging you harshly, comparing you to where you should be in life or comparing you to other people. And your inner mother critic is keeping you from doing anything that requires courage or independence and you just start to become clingy or fearful, uh, boring, you don't like to step out of your comfort zone. So this has everything to do with how you're communicating with yourself. Your future self is communicating with you. Stick with me on that one. The conflict is happening in your own head, which, you know, it's insane, but it's also very normal. (laughs) We're weird creatures. So what we do about it is that we need to have a trustworthy internal and external reference. And so you and somebody you trust. And with these two resources, you can know in your heart when you've done well and your external critics and your low vibing inner narrative can't bother you to the same extent. We are, interestingly, individually incapable of seeing the true limits of our own potential because we have all this fog and baggage and bias from of our own past and all that gunk. 
But if you have somebody who loves you and cares about you, and I mean like really is like sees your greatness and is committed to you, like a life partner or a business partner or a best friend, these are the perfect people to be your external reference to literally explain to you how much you can achieve and where you can go and also how perfect you are right at this moment. And if I could say that another way, this person can help you create and shape yourself into the most extraordinary version of yourself that you couldn't imagine on your own. Um, And they do this because you, you also see the greatness in them. And so you do things to, to want to make them happy. And so they have this thought of where you can go. And so it's almost like you're playing this game with each other and inspiring each other to, to climb this ladder of greatness. And so this is not about codependency on external validation. You're not asking this person for your present perfection or this future version to fill your ego bucket and not do anything with it. It's more to see clearly who you are from another trusted perspective that believes in your greatness more than you can even see beyond, um, more than you believe in yourself. And a great way to start this dialogue is to simply ask your partner, what is the future version of me that you see that I could become? And because you trust in this person, you'll, you need to really listen to what they have to say. And this can kind of also show you how much somebody believes in your greatness, (laughs) because if they're not seeing as much potential as you're seeing in yourself, well, that could be an issue, but that, that shouldn't be an issue in this case. Somebody should really believe in you that believe more in you than you almost believe in yourself. And if they're giving you this this description of this future version of yourself, I mean, give them some time because it is a bit of an odd and deep question to ask somebody. Um, but when they're telling you and explaining to you who they could see you being in 10, 15 years, imagine really being that person and also be ready for some resistance to come up on your end. You might think that it's too hard or too out there or too far away or just too big. But if you trust your partner or this person sees your greatness with more clarity than you do, you kind of need to surrender to this wisdom because that's the exercise. It can also bring up things that you feel feel ashamed that you're dropping the ball on. And that's totally normal. This person also sees your blind spots, whether you're aware of them or not. So obviously this future version of yourself is going to be you without some of those blind spots. And that's where you can do a present perfection practice of considering why some of those undesired behaviors that are coming up for you now that you're aware of, that is standing in the way of your future version. Ask yourself, what might I lose that I value if I were to change that undesired behavior? I'll say that again. What might I lose that I value if I were to change this undesired behavior? And also, how is my unwanted behavior a win over the past? So I'll give you an example of present perfection. In my future version, my partner Jeff explained that he saw me managing the projects and the people that I love with power and grace. I love that future version of me. And so I'm like, okay, I want to do that. I'm going to work towards that. But what does that mean for where I'm at right now? If I take a baseline... Well, I often get overwhelmed when I have too much on the go. I'm a little disorganized, which can manifest in morning anxiety. You know, like I'm just reeling from a to-do list that looks like tie-dye in my dreams. (laughs) And 
All of this seems like unwanted behavior, but to honor my present perfection and to make sure that that maternal energy is like nice and flow and good, uh, I don't want to feel down on myself for being this way because is that productive? There should be a reason why I'm like this right now. There's a reason why I'm doing this, that undesired behavior at the moment. So I'll ask myself, okay, what might I lose that I value if I were to become more organized or more regimented? Well, I imagine I'll lose some of my creativity if I'm more regimented. I value freedom. I and I associate freedom with like creative space and creating when I want to and not having to answer to anybody. Hence why my submissions for the show have been so sadly far apart. But then I have to ask myself, is that true? Is that assumption true? You know, can I still keep my creativity and be organized? Has anybody in the history of ever been creative and organized at the same time? And then, of course, the answer is yes. And then I just contemplate that and and think like, okay, how can I create more structure to actually create more creativity? How can I have both? And all I'm doing here is just going down this rabbit hole of questioning my generally accepted truth that I've tucked away in my brain somehow. Um that if I'm if I'm organized and I'm clean and tidy, that I won't be a free-flowing creative force. And at the end of this thought experiment, I can still choose to be a feral garden fairy and finger paint all day if I want. I don't have to change anything, but at least now I'm more aware of what I'm doing and I can make a choice to do that rather than just being like, well, that's just the way that I am. This is what I believe in because that's never been helpful for me anyway. And a little extra bonus present perfection practice is to answer how how this undesired behavior is a triumph from my past. So in this case, I successfully got back in touch with the creativity that I lost in my early adult years. And that's a huge win, right? That's perfect for today. And it was a goal of mine a while back and I'm successfully doing it. And how I show up tomorrow will be another story and another version of present perfection. But right now I'm I'm stoked that I hit my creativity goal, but tomorrow I, I want that to change a little bit. And so it's just a practice in making sure that you're, you're you're joyful with where you're at and then also acknowledging that paternal energy of I have other things that I want to do with myself though too. Alrighty, and that brings me to our final layer of conflict and really just the reason, the complete reason why the Shadow Work Library exists and that's Dharmic themes. Brian and Jennifer... Right. I'm just going to read this directly from their I guess it's called manual that I got a while back. Um, we come into the human experience with a set of dharmic themes that we're here to explore. These themes act like gravity wells in our life experience, drawing to us the events, beliefs, and situations and people from whom we can most fully understand these themes. By design, they are the very irritant that forms the pearl of our enlightenment. Does that sound right to you? Like... <laughs> The people, the beliefs, the events, the situations that you need that are being drawn to you for a reason, and they're the very irritant to form the pearl of our, of our enlightenment. I love it. It's like I heard the other day of this phrase called uh, dharmic siblings or karmic siblings, I don't, something like that, where fated siblings. Anyway, the idea is you don't choose your your family, and so sometimes that can be a a point of contention for people. Um, but like the same goes for your karmic and your dharmic relationships that you have. It's almost like you don't have a choice to choose that these people are in your life. They're here and there's a reason. And I think that's pretty neat, whether you believe that or not. Um, okay, getting back to Brian and Jennifer stuff here. Although they, meaning these these people, events, beliefs, 
situations. They begin by having us sit face to face with our uncomfortable feelings of limitation. It's through the transcendence of that limitation that the realization of its illusory nature that we begin to awaken to our gifts. And according to Richard Rudd, there are 64 dharmic themes that describe the human experience, each having a shadow expression and a gift expression. Sound familiar? I cover these 64 themes throughout this show, which is why I have a countdown at the start of every show going from 64 to 1. Um, I do have some bonuses in there, but that's the plan. Um, These dharmic themes begin our evolutionary journey at the shadow states, which call attention to the aspects of ourselves that we cannot or don't want to see. And this is where, unfortunately, most people stay. Even though you don't want to see your shadow or choose not to dive into your shadows, as a lot of people choose to do, I I like to just remind people that are uncomfortable with this. It's like, even though you don't want to see and you don't want to acknowledge it or identify it, everyone else can see it. (laughs) It's like having food in your teeth. And some people, interestingly enough, are perfectly happy walking around with spinach in their teeth, uh, afraid to look in the mirror to see what other people have to stare at and not say anything about awkwardly. (laughs) But I'd imagine that if you're listening, you're one of the few people who are consciously and constantly checking your compact to see if there's any crap in there. So you don't have to subject people to your shadow sides unknowingly. And so you can recognize dharmic themes when, let's say you're listening to one of my submissions and you really resonate with one of them, or you see that pattern popping up for you over and over and over again, perhaps on something that I haven't covered yet, across multiple contexts, like in your relationships, when you're making money, when you're talking to yourself, So these repeated patterns, they're here for us to bring uh, or they're here to put a big spotlight on our shadows, which, as you know from the show, have this potential to turn into really super powerful gifts with just a little bit of tweaking. And those gifts are what we're here to do. That's why they're dharmic themes. The shadows are given to us so we can transform them into the gifts that we're here to use. I'll give you a personal example. One of my main shadows is inertia which shows up as either this reluctancy to do something about my situation or being diverted and fidgety. Meaning I either have an inability to do anything about my situation or I feel inept about doing anything about my situation, despite the fact that I I understand the situation, I can even see what I'm supposed to do to get out of it, but I remain frozen in my safety zone. Or I can be highly fidgety and unconsciously have escapist patterns, which can take its toll on my finances and my health if I let it go unchecked. And so I recognize this about myself, this pattern of feeling stuck, even though I see what I'm needing to do. It was coming up so much that I realized, okay, this is saying something. I did the work and turned it around into what is now my greatest gift. I used that energy into its appropriate, it turned it into its appropriate form of determination, which is the skill of sustained activity and working towards a goal that's fueled by a white hot ideal. So determination isn't exactly like just working towards a goal that you really want. It's more like having a really, really intense ideal about something and just taking little steps to get closer to that. It's almost like you don't know where you're going, but you just know that's the right direction. And even though I've done the work and I believe in my skill of determination, I, I like it. The shadow side of inertia does bubble up from time to time still because I can't live in the gift states all the time. Nobody can. Otherwise, there's no opportunity to learn 
I think I've said that quite a bit on the show. If I'm imagining that the goal is too big and I'm getting frozen in in action or I'm noticing that I'm bouncing around from hobby to hobby, like frantically, not in a good for a soul way, but just running from something, then I know, oh, okay, that's my good old dharmic theme popping up. Hello again, which means it's time to level up my determination skill set. It's it's actually a good red flag that pops up. And the reason why dharmic themes matter, well, on a collective or humanitarian level, this is the flavor of what your life's work should be in this lifetime. So part of what I'm here to do is to inspire people through my actions and through role modeling, just being good at what I'm doing, how people can be more determined without a really clear end goal or to be flexible with what the end goal is going to be for you. My husband, Jeff, is here to inspire people through his actions, through role modeling, how to be more integral. His gift is integrity. He's great at it. But also his dharmic shadow there is he can be a little judgy. (laughs) And when he notices he's being judgmental, that's his red flag that it's time to level up that he's run his course on that level and it's time to fight the boss and go to the next next level, I guess. And that's really the whole point of the shadow work library, for you to find your dharmic themes, to honor those shadows and to understand they're, they're good, they exist for a reason, and they're really productive when you know what to do with them. So like if you're feeling confused a lot, that's your shadow state of like confusion. Well, you might be really good at imagination or if your main shadow state is struggle, like it's everything feels like a struggle, then you could have the gift of perseverance if you tweak that a little bit. Or if you're easily agitated, you have the gift of taking initiative and changing those things that irritate you. It's really cool stuff. As you know, I love shadow work. (laughs) And I'm actually gonna be offering some free shadow work sessions here soon, but I need to work with some friends to smooth out my process. Uh, But that is something that I'd love to gift you guys at no cost soon, well, 2021 probably. I won't make any promises, but as soon as I get this figured out, I'll I'll definitely offer that. So yeah, thank you for checking out the seven layers of conflict. There's a lot to chew on here. I, I get that. So just take what feels most alive to you. And next week, I'm going to be putting out a symposium with Dr. Danielle McGinnis on depth psychology, which is the Jungian version of shadow work. And that is a great show. Dr. D is a very, very wise woman. And following that, I'll be back to our regular episodes covering one of the 64 shadows. And this one is going to take us from selfishness to altruism. It's an awesome show for parents and, well, all humans, really. And as always, if you have any questions about what I talked about today, you can email me at jessica at thespecialforcesexperience.com or hit me up on Instagram at jessicadepazzi underscore. And if you'd like to see what else I'm working on, um, you might be wondering why I have a Special Forces Experience email address. I, um, My husband and I run something called the Special Forces Experience, and you can find that at on Instagram at Special Forces Experience. Um, we have an awesome producer that has just put together like the coolest videos and photos of, of this event, so you might find that interesting. And yeah, if you're enjoying this podcast, a rating and review is always appreciated. But you don't have to do that if you don't want to. It's cool. Just keep listening. That's all that really matters. Have a great week, everybody. Stay safe, but not too safe. And we'll talk again soon.